Holy Father, Lord, it is always a pleasure and an honor just to be able to open up your word. Lord, to be able to delve into scripture, to be able to see how you are going to speak to us tonight. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. And Lord, that you would speak to us boldly. That your, that your words would just jump off of this page and into our hearts. And Lord, I pray that anything that is of you, that truly, that they would be etched upon our hearts. And Lord, if it is not, if it is of man or anything that is from me, God, I pray that you would just say those words, that it would fall upon deaf ears so that we might be able to glorify and honor you. God, we can't thank you enough just for the blessing for being here. So tonight, Lord, I pray that you would bless this time, time spent in your word and together in fellowship, worship. Lord, just know how much we thank you, we love you, and it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, there are some that would discredit the Bible, and they would try to say, oh, well, you know, I mean, you say potato, I say potato, you read the same thing and everything along those lines. Or like there was another sign that I found, right? Here it is. You might say fresh avocado, but I might say free shavakadu. <laughs> so we look at things and we might see them a little bit differently, but God is so good and he can take that piece of scripture and use it and turn it. Okay. Now we're going to look at three individuals tonight. And these three individuals names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now you might say, who are these individuals? Adam, I thought you said we were going to look at a familiar piece of scripture. But what if I told you their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Ah, now that rings a bell, doesn't it? Yes, these were the ones who were thrown into the fiery furnace and didn't get burned. So tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be in the book of Daniel. Yes, we're going to be in the book of Daniel chapters 1 through 30, so we're going to look at the entire chapter 3, okay? Um, and the title of this message, But If Not. But If Not. You know, we're going to get to this a little bit later in the passage, and I was going to speak about it then, but when I had the opportunity to review, I was talking with my wife, and we were going over uh, my sermon and some of the points that I was, I was going to bring out. And there's one point where here it is, uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they're, they're there. They're getting ready to be thrown into the fire. And they said, you know what? Our Lord is going to save us. But if not, we're still going to glorify him. We're still going to go ahead and sing his praises. And there's a lot of times in our lives where we get placed in those situations where here it is. We have our faith. We have our trust in God. And, you know, oftentimes we look at situations and it gets a little bit difficult to praise him. Like, for example, and when I was discussing this with Michelle, the loss of our third child. And a lot of times we sit there and we go, why, God? Why did you allow this to happen? And I was telling Michelle, I said, you know, so many times we say why, but really we should be asking what? What do you want me to learn from this? And she got a little bit indignant with me and she was like, so when we lost our child, you mean to say that God wanted to teach us something with that? And I said, you know what? I go, I don't know if it was necessarily a teaching moment as much as when I look at it 
And I say, what did you want me to learn from this, God? To put my faith and trust in you. That's what I learned out of it. It wasn't that he wanted me to go through a terrible time and understand. And, and you know, so many times I, I see people or I talk to people and they're like, and they're like, you know what? I really believe God is, is, uh, has brought this upon me. You know, God wants me to get a divorce from my, from my husband or from my wife. And I'm like, no, no, that's not from God. Now, does the enemy want to get in there? Does the enemy want to go ahead and tear apart the beautiful thing that God has made in each and every one of you? Yes, he does. And can God use those instances and make them, turn them around or use them as a teaching moment for us or for his glory? Yes and amen. So if you would, open with me to your Bibles to chapter 3 as we start off in chapter 1. Now, there are going to be some main points. Just because Tanner's here doesn't mean we're not going to get some main points for you, okay? So, first off, as we go through, and here it was, just last uh, over this last month, right, we went through the book of Revelation, and we knocked it out in two, two weekends, right, in two Sunday services, right? And we just jammed through that. And one of the things that Pastor Tanner said was, hey, when you're going through and studying the book of Revelation, it's also good to study the book of Daniel as well because they're all, it holds a lot of the answers. So that's one of the things that we're going to look at tonight. We're going to compare Revelation and Daniel in just a few points and see if there's actually going to be that comparison, whether we can go ahead and see whether there are those, those, those similarities or those questions answered. Next, we do not serve your gods. Powerful statement made by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And can we say the same? You see, even in the midst of certain destruction, they still stood strong, putting their faith and trust in God. Next, we're going to go ahead and... Christ is in the fiery trials, but we need to be looking for him. Now, you know, when I, when I read through this and I thought about this, it reminds me of the familiar footprints in the sand. You guys familiar with that? Right? Let me read it to you again. Story goes, one night I had a dream. I dreamt I was walking along the beach with our Lord and across the sky flashed scenes of my life. For each scene, I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonged to me and the other to our Lord. When the last scene of my life flashed before us, I looked back at the footprints in the sand and noticed many times along the path of my life that there was only one set of footprints. I also noticed that it happened to be at the very lowest, the saddest time in my life. And this really bothered me. And I questioned our Lord about it. Lord, I said, you said that once I dedicated, to, I decided to follow you, you would walk with me all the way. But I've noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why in times when I needed you the most, you should leave me. And the Lord replied, my precious, precious child, I love you, and I would never leave you. Never leave you during your times of trial and suffering. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then 
that I carried you. And lastly, centurions are watching. Now, I once gave an entire uh, uh, sermon on the fact that centurions are watching. And it's discussing how the world is always watching us as Christians, seeing how we're going to react to certain situations. Will Will we recognize our Lord even in the fiery trials or will we fail, backsliding, going back to the things that we clung to in the world before we were walking with our Lord? So with that, let's go ahead and start off in verse 1. Chapter 3 in Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and width was 66 cubits. He had set it up in the plains of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, Nebuchadnezzar went ahead and he sets up this idol. And what were the measurements of it again? 66 cubits high and 6 cubits broad. Now, when we write that out as a number, what number do we get? Six, six, six. Hmm, why have I heard this number before? Why does this seem familiar to me? In your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 13, and we're going to take a look, starting at verses 16. And in verse 16, it says, He caused all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive the mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And that no one may buy or sell except who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who understands calculate the number of the beast for its number of of, a man. His number is six, six. Six. Coincidence? I think not. So, hold your place there because we're going to come back to Revelation 13. So, let's go ahead and proceed on. Verse 2. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together to the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the providences to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, so the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the providence gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before that image, the, uh, the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried out, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, the uh, psaltery, in the symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. So here it is, when we look at Nebuchadnezzar, what we see is a type of antichrist. Okay, just like Nero, just like Hitler, Tanner's talked about it before, these are types of antichrist. And he makes an idol and demands that everybody worships that image. 
And anyone who refuses to worship that image is going to be put to death. Now, the man of sin, the beast that arises out of the sea in Revelation 13, it makes an image and demands that everyone worships that image. And if anyone refuses that image, he has the power to put them to death. So turn back to Revelation 13 with me, if you would. And let's go back a little bit further in there, starting off at verse 14. And it says, And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he granted to do in the sign of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by a sword and lived. He has, uh, was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. And the image of the beast should both speak and cause many, uh, as, uh, as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So, can we clearly see now the parallels there between Revelation and Daniel there? I think that we can. Let's continue on in verse 7. So at that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the flute, the harp, the lyre, the symphony, with all kinds of music, all the peoples and nations' languages fell down and worshipped the golden image, which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, stop right there just for a moment. Quick point about music. Where it is, we see everybody falling down. They immediately react to the sound of the instruments. Have you ever had a song stuck in your head? (laughs) Right? You go through all day and it just keeps coming back and playing again and again and again. And you can't get that song out of your head. Now, how many of us listen to secular music? It's okay. Yeah, I do too, right? Yeah. Okay, it's all right. You're not going to lose your salvation if you do. All right. Let me just make that perfectly clear, right? But... (laughs) If you're listening to Taylor Smith or Ed Sheeran, it's okay. But let me ask you this. Wouldn't you much rather have Amazing Grace stuck in your head all day long instead of Highway to Hell by ACDC? Just something to think about. Let's continue. Verse 8. Therefore, at that time, certain Chileans, uh, Chaldeans, I'm sorry, came forward and accused the Jews that they had spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the provinces of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due, uh, due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Now, first off, when I read this, I kind of thought to myself, Chaldeans, Chaldeans, who are the Chaldeans? And as I started looking up different translations, um, one of the translations said it used the word Babylonians, which makes sense, right? King Nebuchadnezzar, he was the king of Babylon. But there are also other terms. There was the terms such as sorcerers or wise men. The NIV went ahead and called them astrologers. 
So we have wise men from the east. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, we just celebrated Christmas, right? Yeah. So these weren't just any Babylonians that we were talking about here. No, instead, these were powerful men in the kingdom. Okay? So don't you think that here it is, if the king goes ahead and puts these Jews into power, that maybe they weren't the most popular. Maybe they ruffled just a little bit of feathers out there. I would have to say that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't on the mailing list for Christmas cards that year. (laughs) Okay? So, and let me ask you something. Here it is. They're accusing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Can I have everybody just go ahead and stand up for me? I know you just got all comfortable, right? Okay, now, when I say sit down, I would like Jeremiah, I'd like Wilma, and I would like Caroline to go ahead and remain standing, please. Okay? Everybody, sit down. Is there three individuals within the sanctuary that look a little out of place? (laughs) You may be... (laughs) Simon says, sit down. (laughs) You three are still in the game. Okay, so can you see just from this little example right here how these three men, these three, three friends of ours would have stood out? Yeah, plus not to mention, they're already not in favor with some of the, you know, the uh, the higher ups. So here it is. They go ahead and ultimately, what do they do? They throw them under the bus, right? They stab them in their back. They sell them down the river. You can almost hear it too, can't you, right? First off, first off, what? Any time that there's flattery, okay, you know there's nothing good coming out of that, right? Oh, king, live forever. Right? And what do they do? Oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not worshiping. (laughs) Right? Well, let's go ahead and see how the king takes it. Verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a rage and fury, I don't think he was too happy, in a rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. (coughs) So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? So, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't take it very well, does he? But you can almost see the trepidation there, okay? Here it is. He still gives them another chance, doesn't he, right? He says, you know, and if you think about it, hey, he put them in power, didn't he? So he probably doesn't want to lose face over that, right? As well as, what do they do? These men, they are strong worshipers of God, right? And I believe that just like Joseph, God very well may have blessed them. So here it is, the work that they were doing was prospering the king. So in essence, the king is saying here, here's your last chance. I'm going to give you one more time to go ahead and do what I commanded you to do. Now, 
something seems amiss here. Or should I say, someone. What book are we reading in? The book of Daniel. Exactly. Where is Daniel? Now, some say that Daniel was too high in the king's government to be touched. Some say he might have been bowing down, and that's why the king left him alone. Now, if we read in chapter 1, it says that Daniel had purposed in his heart. He wouldn't defile himself with the king's meat. And we read that in that first chapter. His commitment to God was so complete. So, I am certain that Daniel did not bow down. Then why wasn't Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Obviously, Daniel wasn't there. Okay, He probably was away on business for the king. Or, um, because had he been there, he surely would not have bowed. Now, um, this is kind of interesting. Let's take a look at this from a, from a parallel. Okay, Here it is. Daniel isn't there. Daniel represents a type of the church. Now, when we look in Revelation at the great tribulation, the fiery judgment comes, when the Antichrist is demanding that people bow down and worship the image that he's created, the church won't be there. It's gone. It won't go through the fiery furnace. It's been delivered. It's been caught up to meet our Lord in the air and forever will be with our Lord. And thus, um, when the... uh, when the Antichrist comes onto the scene and creates an image and demands that the image is going to be worshipped, the church isn't there. So Daniel, being that picture of the church, he's not there. But the faithful remnants of the Jews that are there who turn to Christ after the rapture of the church that have the the seal of God on them, just like these three Hebrew children, he will take them through the fire. So it's a beautiful typology. That's what we see in the story of Daniel. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this manner. If If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not... Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image that you have set up. Can I get an amen? Yes! I love this. I love this. Look at the boldness of our three friends here. Straight up, they tell the king, No! This is your last chance. We don't need your stinking last chance, okay? We are not going to bow. Not only are we not going to bow... But our God is going to save us. That's powerful. That is so powerful. But let me ask you a question. Is your faith that strong? Is your faith that strong? You see, here it is. They know the consequences. It's death by burning. Yet still, they tell the the king, we're not going to do it. Have you ever had a person, maybe a co-worker, maybe a friend, maybe even a fellow Christian, and let's say that they use the Lord's name in vain? I know, 
all of my fellow Christians in here, you immediately call them on it and say, hey, knock that stuff off, right? Or did you not do that? All right. So maybe you just let them go on with their story. Even though you didn't know or you knew that it wasn't right and you didn't say anything. Folks, I can tell you we need to be as bold as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when it comes to our faith. Look at verse 18 again. It says, But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you have set up. But if not... I absolutely love this. First, their boldness. Second, they understand that our ways are not His ways. Isaiah says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 9. The psalmist writes, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Psalm 174, verse 5. Solomon writes, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Proverbs 3, Verses 5 and 6. And finally, Job. Behold, God is great, and we do not know him. Job's 36, verse 26. I'm going to play a song by Mercy Me. And it's called, Even If. I had the pleasure to recently see them. And before this song... Uh, Bart, the lead singer, went ahead and he put out the backstory on this. And I'll be honest with you, it was the inspiration for me giving this message here tonight. This wonderful lady from their church, and and they and she comes up to him and she says, "I don't know a lot about you know type two diabetes. You know, could you could you inform me a bit?" So he said they, you know, he and his wife went through the statistics and everything and, you know, and told them about it. And, and mid-sentence, she just stops him and says, let's go ahead and pray for healing right now. And on the inside, he was like, oh, wow, yeah, that's novel. I haven't thought about that for the past, you know, 13 years. Yeah, why don't we go ahead? Let's just do this, Right. And he admitted, you know, now on the outside, he was like, gracious, and yes, let's go ahead and pray. And they prayed. But, you know, there's sometimes that we get like that, that we can be like that. We're just having a bad day. Have you ever had one of those days? Yeah. I mean, and when you sit there and you want, listen to the song, and I encourage you all to listen to the song. When you listen to it, it talks about, he talks about, here it is, we worship a God that can move mountains. But if he doesn't, are we still going to go ahead and praise him? And that's what I love about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their faith is strong. 
Their faith is there. They are saying, hey, our God is going to go ahead and deliver us. But if not, we're still going to praise him. And that is such a beautiful thing. See, it's easy when things are going good, right? I mean, hey, we all know the sayings, right? We speak Christianese and we say, God is good. And you guys say, all the time, yes. And then I say, all the time. And you guys say, God is good. Yes, yes. And we put smiles on our faces and we go about our way. But is it really well with our souls? Are we still going to go ahead and praise him when we lose that job? When we get evicted from our homes, when we lose a loved one, or even worse, a child. You see, God can deliver us from these things. But if not, I will still praise Him. Amen? Let's pick it up in verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. And the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he spoke and commanded that the heat of the furnace uh, seven times was heated, was heat, the heat of the furnace seven times more than it was normally heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who was in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their outer garments, and were cast in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, before the king's command was urgent, and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men into the midst of a fire? They answered to him and said to him, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So we see King Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and his expression changed towards his three friends, didn't it? And it kind of supports the theory that I was talking about, right? He didn't really want to kill them in the first place. But look what happens. He looks into the fire. He sees not three, but four men inside of the fire. The fourth one, like the Son of God. Who are we talking about here, folks? Jesus. Exactly. Okay? So, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not only were spared a fiery death, but they also got to hang out with Jesus. <laughs> you see, in the midst of your worst situation, Jesus is still there. He's there with you. But just like Nebuchadnezzar, we need to look for him. Exodus 15:2 says, The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, I will exalt him. You see, it says, the Lord is my strength. 
Not me, but God. We seek, but we don't find because we're looking in the wrong place. If God hadn't allowed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be thrown into the furnace, them to proclaim their faith in God, they would have never seen Jesus in it all. And in return, Nebuchadnezzar would have never observed the great works of our God and also observed the Son of God. You see, even in our worst situations, we can show others Christ. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning, fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any peoples, nations, or language that speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their house shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the provinces of Babylon. Now, In verse 27, it says, the fire had no power. The God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saved them completely so that they were not the the slightest evidence that they had ever been thrown or placed into danger. The salvation offered by the Lord is so effective and so complete that nothing of the lost condition remains. Nebuchadnezzar then says in verse 29, there is no other God who can deliver. What a true statement. There is no God that can take a bad situation, no other God that can take a bad situation and use it for his good. There is no God that, no other God that can save. Remember when we started this journey? In Matthew 7, uh, 7, 14, it says, Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Jesus is the only way. Our God gave us the way. Even when we were thrown into fiery trials of this life, the God of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego gave us a way. Jesus Christ, our Lord. The amazing thing is, not only our three friends who were already believers were able to experience this, uh, the greatness of God and salvation, but even Nebuchadnezzar, an unbeliever, proclaims this truth. Which leads me to our last point. Centurions are watching. You see, people are watching. They're watching you as a believer to see how you are going to handle yourself. 
See, the world is just waiting for each and every one of us to mess up. If for nothing else, for them to rationalize and make them feel better about their own sin. But they're waiting to see if you're going to praise God and run to Him, or you're going to backslide. You're going to go back, right? If you're acting just like the rest of the world, then why do they need our God? Why do they need our Jesus? Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew twenty-seven fifty-four. And Matthew twenty-seven fifty-four says, So when the centurion and those with him who were standing guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. You see, centurions are watching. What convinced him? It was the way Jesus handled the rejection, the pain, the suffering, and the death. Then why do we as believers think that we are never going to go through suffering when it's actually a method that the Lord can use to bring about conversion in centurions? Oftentimes, we go through great lengths to avoid being boxed in, we dodge hard times, try to escape the physical pain. Yet those are the very things that convince Babylonians, the centurions, and our neighbors of the faithfulness of God as he sees us through it. Yes, we should pray. Yes, we should make our requests and petitions known to God. But we also must let God be God. Remember, His ways are not our ways. We must allow Him the freedom to allow what He wants in our lives, no matter how painful it might be. Maybe God will use somebody in this room to plant the seeds of salvation to somebody who's watching. That is why our walk is so important. So the next time you're thrown into a fiery furnace, rejoice! Praise God for who He is and say that He's going to deliver you. But if not, let's all still praise Him. Amen? Would you pray with me? Dear God, I love how powerful you are. The fact that you created everything and all you had to do was speak it into existence. Lord, you are able to move mountains. You are able to do such amazing things. And if we just have the faith of a mustard seed, we can see so much of your miracles, of your majesty. But if not, God, but if not, give us the strength of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Give us the strength to say we are still going to praise you. We are not going to bow down to other gods. We are not going to give in to the enemy. But we're going to praise you, God. Praise you with our lips. Make us as strong as our three friends. 
Give us that boldness. No. Let us know that, hey, even if everything goes to pot, we still have eternity with you to look forward to. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you did. Jesus, you are so good. You bless so abundantly. You brought us here tonight. God, know how much we love you, how much we bless you, how much we thank you. And it is in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen.